Rooter, Rooter, Rooterson. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. That's Vieira! Absolutely fantastic! Thierry Henry! He scored! He scored for Arsenal! It is just what Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang does. Gabriel Martinelli has equalised for the Gunners! Welcome back to Looking Back on Where We First Met. I cannot escape and I cannot forget. Southgate, you're the one. You still turn me on. Football's coming home again. (laughs) One, two, Two. three, four. (laughs) Looking back on where we first met. I cannot escape and I cannot forget. Southgate, you're the one. You still turn me on, bit sus. Football's coming home again. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck me. It's coming Oh, Brad. I think I'm I'm still a bit drunk, mate. (laughs) Oh, I went to work this morning, definitely still drunk. Uh, Oh, my God. It's coming home. (laughs) We're in a final. We're in a, we're in a European championship final. Just, just, just every second, right? The last time this happened was 1966. My dad wasn't born. My dad was born in the December of that year. So this has never happened in my dad's lifetime. There was a butter twinkle in Bradley's dad's dad's eye. Not even it's a twinkle. Mental. It's fucking mental. unbelievable. England through to the final. Um, if you're a if if you're not an Englishman or an Englishwoman or an English person, I'm sorry, but this episode is unfortunately going to be dominated by that. Um, yeah, unbelievable. Right, where should we start? Fucking hell, I need to compose myself. <laughs> should we start with the other semi final just quickly? Yeah, let's do that because yeah. main, mainly, Brad. I'll tell you why. Because all I can remember about last night was the goals. <laughs> Yeah, that's about it. Uh, no, no, no. The one thing that what one the main thing that sticks out of my head, I'll just push my mic back, was uh, when the first goal went in from the Bukayo Saka cross. Me, you, and Andy just looked at each other and went Bukayo, and held that literally until we could not like, we're, we're, like we were, we were gasping for air. Sensational. Yeah, just uh, I hope everyone is aware that Bukayo is mine and Brad's son. Have we we discussed yeah, that on the podcast? He is our child. We've adopted he, him. He is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, yes. No. The other semi-final, uh, Spain versus Italy, um, oh. was a great game. It was a really, really good game. Um, I thought, uh, firstly, Danny Olmo, what a player! Uh, mm. Lovely on the half yeah. turn, take receives yeah, on the yeah, back yeah, foot yeah. so well, plays well between the can't lines. Can't take a penalty, but can't take a penalty, but you know. You know, uh, he'd fit right in at Arsenal, mate. Tell me that now. I don't. Oh, we'd never absolutely. get him, but he's no. he's very good. Good profile. Twenty three. Is he? What does he play? Um, Leipzig. Uh, Leipzig. Yeah. Leipzig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, yeah, he's good. Um, I think he's got. Like, I think he's also. He's not. If I'm not mistaken, he's only got like two, three years left on his contract. So if it was something that we wanted to do, like it's not. It's it's not far away from like Leipzig almost being forced to sell because of contract. You know that whole malarkey but he's sensational um yeah, somebody that's gone mate. really under the radar as well i'd never i'd never heard of him or watched him 
before that night and I, he immediately caught the eye. He was so good. I think the one thing that England can do, I'm sorry to bring it to England straight away, but the one thing England can do against Italy is break down that midfield and sit on Verratti yeah. and stop Jorginho Verratti playing. And he did yeah. that really, really well um, and sat between the lines well. And he just, he's so positive, plays it forward all the time. And can we talk yeah. about Pedri, mate? 18 yeah, years old. Say, Fuck me, what a player. If, any, like, every single club in Europe with the financial constraints that, that Barca are under, because they can't register, they've got, is it, is it what, Emerson Royal, Memphis, yeah, Memphis Aguero, uh, yeah. and another. They've signed four players and none of them can be registered yet until they get a fairly significant amount off the wage bill and bring some money in. So every single top European club should be probing them with a 20, 30 million pound bid just to try and steal him. Well, the thing is, mate, is if you're Pedri, you just absolutely, I was going to say spunked it at the Euros, not quite the phrase. If you just smashed it at the Euros, right? And he played, I think there was a stat on the BBC, Lineker said um, he's played more minutes than everyone at Barca bar Messi. So like, yep. why leave? But but if they ha- if they need the money, it's certainly it's certainly a good deal. He is so technically assured. He's t- do you know what? we we lack at Arsenal? We lack a player with the turning circle of a and I don't rate him that much, but someone like Thiago or a Pedri. Someone so mm. many of our players turn like fucking ships and ships that are stuck in the Gulf Canal or whatever it's called. What's it called? Gulf Suez Canal. Suez Canal. That's what <laughs> what I'm worried about. Um. Yeah, he's got such a nice turning circle, reads the game so yeah. well, scans, he's just constantly so aware of the space, so aware of what's going on. And at 18, like... And one thing I noticed in that game as well was any time that the ball is in in motion with someone else, I can't, I don't, I can't really describe it. Um, anytime somebody else touches the ball and they're, or they're progressing the ball, they're dribbling with the ball, when the ball is at their feet... He's looking at them ready to receive. And when the ball is, when that player is dribbling on and he's like nudged it on to run for like another five yards up, he's scanning space, looking for options, looking for opportunities, looking for space. And that is exactly, there's one thing like Frank Lampard was never the the most technically proficient or phenomenal footballer, but the brain on him and the ability to look was sensational. And that's something that I really noticed last night is Pedri's ability to, to constantly be able to zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out, and always have an awareness was brilliant. Yeah, 100%, mate. And like, you know, keep bringing it back to Arsenal, but I suppose this is an Arsenal podcast. Someone yeah. like him in our midfield, like this is why I love the hour links, because we need someone in our midfield. Well, who, it's who Santi Cazorla, isn't it? Yep. We, we have never replaced somebody who can sit deep, wriggle out of tight spaces, and then move forward. I suppose Sabios was supposed to be that guy, but it's just it's just never worked out. Yeah. Um, anyway, fuck that game, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> fuck that off. England beat Denmark two one. Uh, when what's his name? Damsgaard scored the uh, Damsgaard scored yeah. that free kick. So we slightly disagree on this. I think I think it's a great free kick. I mean, two things can be true. Hashtag. Oh, no, no, no. Podcast, but, it, I agree with you, yeah. But you, you're you not a massive fan of the Pickfords. You, you were talking about his Listen, last night. it's... The thing is, right, it's phenomenally... Just, sorry. You know, everyone was pissed and like, hey, Brad was like, look at his footwork. Look at the footwork. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's the thing. Like, um, it's a phenomenal strike. To even get it up and over and on target from, you know, with that amount of pace and whip on the ball is, is brilliant. 
the issue of the free kick is is the placement of it. As in, it's like it's it's just off center, which is why Pickford, though he sees it late, he takes two steps, but they're not big enough. Pickford's footwork in that moment is just awful, which means he doesn't get across far enough. And you see it on the replays; it brushes his hand. And if he just takes those two steps a bit bigger and a bit quicker, he gets across. And that is why, you know, Kasper Schmeichel showed last night with elite level footwork and positioning. It like moments like that don't have to happen. It's it's, like you say, two things are true at the same time. It is phenomenally struck, but it should never have gone in. It's savable by a Premier League standard keeper. And the fact that he didn't, it just, yeah, it fucking got on my nerves. But also the fact that um, the free kick shouldn't have, um, the goal shouldn't have stood in the first place. So this is, I think, you know, one thing that Ian Wright gets right is the fact that, you know, uh, as England fans, we never really get to celebrate when we go forward one because of the ties to the absolute dickheads that are England fans that ruin it for the rest of us. But also because, you know, I, I don't know why, but it's seen as, you know, it's the fact that like I, I would happily in the other games of support and did at points, but like I'm not really that interested in, in international football other than England to support the home countries because you always want to see, you know, the people where you're from do well. But it's I've always found it weird that, that Scotland, Ireland and, and the Welsh root against us. I've never understood it. Um, but there was a load of like excuses and everything rolling around last night. But that free kick... The the Danish encroach on the England wall and are less than two yards away. So the goal shouldn't stand. So anyone that wants to complain about the penalty and it being soft, it should have ended 1-0 anyway because their goal shouldn't have stood. So yeah, come at me from that. Like literally technically by the rules, if you're taking away their penalty, their goal shouldn't have stood in the first place. So yeah, um, I want to it's still to- the same result. I, I don't think, to... and also I just don't think that you can say England didn't deserve to win that because they were no, good. No, we did. We we were on top. Um, I want to come to a slightly wider conversation about England in a second, obviously, but let's just sort of talk through the goals. Um, have to say, hate hate it, but have to say, um, Harry Kane receives it on the half turn, plays a beautiful ball oh. forward immediately to Saka. Saka makes <sighs> Saka makes the space. A uh, good uh, good run. Um, and also. It's one of those things. I think Saka is one of those players who makes everything look so simple. But actually, being in that position, and actually, if you watch where he receives the ball and where the defenders are, he get he wriggles into that position actually really quickly. There's a lot of players who take yeah. a bit of a touch, sort of just lose that. It's that half a second quicker that he's ahead and he's in straight away, and he's and he he, he understands his body positioning and stuff. It's it's so good. Um, obviously, we and the, weak foot as well. Yeah. Um, and he gets the goal. Uh, we'll give it to Saka, won't we? It's not no goal. It was a shot. Yeah, I mean, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because no, it was a goal. For Saka. E- yeah, that's what it but was. But you could it. give it to Sterling. Sterling creates it because he's pushing into that space. But I think it's joint effort from the two of them. And how funny is it, basically, that England have been carried to a European final by um, just utter excellence of two players of colour, and these are people that were booing them yep. during the first games. You know it's what I mean? Mad. It is absolutely mad. I read a I read a thing about Sterling, um, and about how he used to like he used to leave his house at three and get back at eleven p.m. every night. His sister would take him to training, like get three buses to get there. Um, his mum like worked in a um, uh, like worked in like a nurse's home and like worked her way up and now is like director of a nurse's home. 
and like the the amount of pelters that people like Sterling have taken from the English media to now turn yeah. around and and what they're doing carry us and carry us to this position. And there's a huge conversation there that we 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 are not the white mm-hmm. people to do, uh, but. Uh, of course. But yeah, I think it is. It's really notable, and that's. I, th- I do want to come to that uh, slightly later. Um, the uh, 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 so what was it? Second goal, third goal. Uh, the Kane penalty. It is a penalty, unfortunately. And the thing is, until I, I, I disagree slightly. I think it is soft. There's it's... barely any contact, but you could. I think it's one of those that you can make the argument both for and against. If it happens for you, you're happy. You've got the penalty. If it happens against you, you're fuming because it is unbelievably soft there's barely contact but this is this is the issue is is we have seen penalties like that given all season so it's hard to argue against it yeah yeah ultimately when when you set the standard at what a penalty is so low then that's you know you've got to continue sort of making rod through and back but the yeah i mean sterling the, the, the thing i would say though is when you're running at that pace any contact you will go down because it's a you're, you're off balance um and there is two bits of contact and supposedly they gave it the VR decision was on the second bit of contact which there is more contact on the second one i think the yeah. first one yeah, is yeah, a yeah, bit yeah. soft than the second but the second one is contact uh kane i knew he'd miss did you hear me saying it yeah i was like he's gonna miss there's just something i can there's just i'm not pretending to be like one of like mystic octopuses or something but like I can just tell when a player is going to miss a penalty. I, I see it in. Um, yeah. Oh my god. Morata. I knew Morata was going to miss the other when night. He did. You just feel it. Yeah. You can just feel you it. You could literally just see it. I knew that Danny Olmo was going to miss because I saw the Locatelli miss, and I went, "Almost going to bottle this." And it's it some. Just... It's something in 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 sort of aura, but it's something about body position as well. I can't work out. I don't mm. have the minerals at the moment to work that out. But there's something in someone's body position as they run up where you just know that it's not quite right. Um, it was a good save from Schmeichel who who had... Mm. Uh, but there is never a bad time to share the fact that my partner thought his name was Caspish. Michael, kills me. Um, uh, but yeah, good save. And a real shame for him as well that the defend... Because like, in that moment as a goalkeeper, you need your defenders to sweep in and clear up. Yeah. Yeah, um, but it was good. It was predator instincts from yeah. Kane, um, and the goal went in. And I thought we were, you know, all over them, all over extra time. Oh God, um, we deserved it. Look, we cre- yeah. over over the over the game, we created something like three point three seven expected goals, and they created zero point two seven. We've still not conceded a goal from open play. You could even make an argument that the goal that we've conceded shouldn't have stood. And then you can make the argument that Pickford should have saved it anyway. So, yeah, you know, we're in a great, great position moving towards the final. Definitely. Um, and before we... It was a fucking good game. Oh, It was good. It, it was good. Before we talk about the final, I do, I do just want to say, and sort of have a slightly more cultural conversation about England, because I'm sure like many England fans... Uh, and maybe listening to this, you, you feel the same. There is a slight, um, there's this video of this guy, um, uh, this Irish guy who talks about like the problem with a lot of English people and kind of English, uh, what being English means is that it's not to say that it, it's not, it's not that, for example, it's not, we shouldn't live in the past. We shouldn't constantly go, well, everything has, you know, everything has happened. We can't change what's happened. But what we can do is learn from it, accept that it did happen 
and move on. And what English people are terrible at doing is accepting our place in the world and what we've done, the impact of colonialism, the impact of slavery, the impact of all these things. It's not about, you know, we we weren't there. I wasn't alive. But what I can do is accept that there's there's certain privileges that I and we, and I'm sure many people listen to this podcast, have because of awful, awful things that happened in the past. Can't change them. But all we can do is accept them. And a lot of a lot of the time, I feel like a lot of English people don't accept that and have this sort of Great Britain sort of, oh, how, how great are we? And it's all because of this. It's all because we're, you know, some, it's in some way inherently better, which just isn't true. And therefore, it makes supporting England a bit of a tricky thing. But what I love about... Um, because of the kind of culture around it and because of some of the behavior that excuses you know domestic violence goes up something like 27 percent when the football's on there's some there's some awful kind of behavior domestic violence goes up 26 percent when england win and 38 percent when they lose yeah so the fact that it even goes i i i know that those are despicable numbers anyway but the fact that it goes for me the fact that it goes up when england win just sounds scary yeah it's terrifying because at least you can make at least you can make the argument that if you're the kind of absolute wanker that's going to abuse somebody in that way, you can make the logical jump that oh, when England lose, you're going to be pissed, so you're going to do it. Like I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying that's no, the logical can, train yeah, of thought. Yeah. It's but the fact that it happens when they win, yeah, that's fucking terrifying. Absolutely, mate. And 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 the thing is, right is. People, people like us, oh, we've got to do it. But it is, it's it, conversations between, like, if if you're, you know, someone, and I am a like a white straight guy, I've got to talk to my mates and discuss those things mm-hmm. because those things happen. Yep. They happen behind closed doors. Brad, they happen. You know what I mean? And we, the, the conversations, there is a massive uh, national conversation that, that I think a lot of people have to have and the media starts to have, ha- uh, have around, like, speak to speak to POC and they'll tell you that when England are on, they're terrified. My partner, and I hope she won't mind me sharing this on the podcast. She, she has a lot of, you know, she's, she's been in, in London and in pubs and stuff when games have been on. She's been terrified of what's going to happen because it's groups of rowdy, rowdy people shouting often, you know, against another country. And there's that sort of jingoistic xenophobic. Oh, you know, I heard in a pub that they'll fuck the Croatians. I'm like, why? (laughs) What? What's wrong with you? It's the behavior that it excuses. And I think mm. what's happened under this um, this this England team, Gareth Southgate penned a, an amazing letter uh, just before um, the the Euros, and he said, "Obviously, we want to win the Euros. That is our primary goal." But what he said, the more important job, the the undeniably more important job, and I completely agree, is bringing a country together, bringing people, and allowing everyone to come into football, and allowing everyone to feel accepted in football. Mm-hmm. Moments like Jordan Henderson replying to a young queer um, person on Twitter saying that they felt safe and accepted in, in in a stadium is amazing. Jordan Henderson, that is incredible. Someone, uh, you know, the the fact that you have got POC players, there's there's a statistic that's like, um, uh, what's the what's the? It's like three. It's like Shaw and you know Maguire or someone like it's that. Shaw Mount and Chilwell, I think. If yeah, the England squad, if if immigration slash emigration didn't exist yeah those three players are like the three players we'd have in our squad that's it and and it's mad and and the current policies that pretty patel is putting in would actually restrict people like sterling who she's now cheering for coming into a country at, at, at a young age the point being you know i'm not the right guy to to sort of you know ha- have that conversation particularly i just think it's important to share you know uh, sh- share that as a conversation also... starter i just want to but the Sorry. the most important thing for me 
is that Southgate and what he's done is he's not only united a country in terms of the football, but I think he's brought together a group of extremely diverse, extremely socially conscious people like Marcus Rashford, who come forward and represented the best of our country, which is diverse, which is, you know, different able bodies, which is different gender identities, which is, you know, queer people or whatever it is. And everyone is accepted under the umbrella and the the uniting qualities of football. And that's what I love about this English, English team. There's definitely conversations that, that need to be had, but I love that. I love that for this England team. Absolutely. And I, I, while I think that you're right in saying that we aren't the two people that should only be having this conversation, I, I was having a conversation during Pride Month with a couple of friends of mine and this kind of almost like thematic topic came up about the idea of allyship, whether that be towards people of colour or people within the LGBTQI plus community. And that because of my position of privilege, I must have the conversations with people to educate people that other people who are already faced and fear the kind of backlash, oppression, hate, speech and abuse would receive for trying to have those same conversations. Because they can't throw that at me because it doesn't affect me. So it is therefore my job as part of that community to try and and ch- and to definitely challenge any rhetoric and ideology in conjunction with slash on behalf of these people so that they don't have to be put in situations where they are being abused for just wanting to, you know, have those conversations or exist. And it's so important to talk to your friends, your family, your teachers, your brothers, sisters, whenever any form of this rhetoric and ideology pops up and to educate people because ignorance is born through a lack of education and nothing more. Ignorance is taught, you know, racism, uh, sexism, homophobia, all of these things are taught behaviours. So we really have to do a lot as people who in the food chain sit with the highest privilege to change that for other people. 100%. 100%. Looking forward to the final. Bradley. fuck me. Yes. Italy. Uh, So having watched them, organised, compact. uh, They've got some great players. uh, The likes of Verratti. I think Chiesa has been fantastic this tournament. Obviously, Bonucci and Chiellini, very experienced players. Um, but I, it's a winnable game for me. It's a winnable game, especially with, especially without Spinazzola. Um, I think we have a lot to do in the midfield. I'll be interested to see, for example, if we set up in a similar way against, we uh, did with Croatia, where we might set up with, um, perhaps even Trippier. I don't know. I think, I think Henderson will play over one of Rice or Phillips. Um, just because he's been tasked over Rice. Yeah. He's been, he's been tasked with that job at Liverpool of basically sitting on, the main man of the midfield, and if and if we let if we let Italy, you know, dominate through Jorginho and Verratti, that is the I think really the only way that they could play is off the park. They might get you might they might get the rub of the green in a final. Anything can happen, right? But I think we do have quality. I mean, I mean, you look at the performances of Raheem Sterling last night. I mean, like the, the player of the tournament, you know, and, and, and kind of form player. And Luke Shaw. Oh, Luke Shaw is fantastic. Um. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I I just think it's a it's a winnable game. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I think in with same- Emerson at, at that left back for them as well. Sorry to cut you off, but yes. um, Emerson was hooked off at 35 minutes when playing against Arsenal because Saka was tearing him apart. Can't you know, wait. Like there were, there was, <laughs> there's no, there's, there's real, there's real, real opportunity to kind of push on and move forward. Um, so we, it's, I, I'm, it's nervous. I, it's nervy. I'm very, but I, I really, I have belief, and I think that the momentum, yeah, and that might just be because I'm English. I live in England. I'm following England, but the momentum feels behind the boys. One thing that we hadn't had so far in this tournament was going behind and fighting back, and that's exactly what we saw last night. Yep, you know, we're only so behind I'm, for eight I'm, minutes or something. Yeah, something like that. It really wasn't no. long. No, you're right, and 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 you're you're absolutely right to bring that up because that that was really the only question mark over the singular team specifically in this tournament is that we hadn't gone behind still haven't conceded from open play um you know it, there, there's so many positives to take into it uh i think yeah I, I i'm feeling really really confident uh the only thing i would say is i think there is we're, we're at wembley we'll be in wembley uh not not in wembley is in, in the place wembley not in the stadium um there is always the kind of anything can happen type uh, feeling around finals, which I think we do need to account for because we're a heavily kind of structured team. We're a heavily kind of, you know, calm and patient team. And I love that. And I think we've discussed before on the podcast, tournament football is great for that. But I do think, I hope in the preparation, there is a certain element of like anything can happen you know, a preparation for for situations if someone goes off. Do you know what I mean? Something like, I, I hope we're putting special attention onto what do we do if we play with 10 men? What do we do if we get a, an injury? Because, you know, think think of finals. You know, I'm looking back to the last European Championship final. Ronaldo goes off. I'm, sh- I'm sure they didn't plan for that. So uh, I'm looking back, you know, Champions League final 2006. I don't want to bring it up for you again. But, you know, uh, Lehman goes off. Like, I think there's always that kind of unpredictable nature in finals. Yeah. And I think it can rattle people. And I hope we're preparing for that to some degree. And like with Lehman, you know, he lost his head. And that is the same with um, Zidane headbutting and then France losing the final. You know, one thing that I think, listen, I, I, I think a lot of people, me especially, need to almost all need to contribute to print a retraction and apology to Gareth Southgate in like the fucking telegraph or something. But he is good for that. Uh, That's one thing I think he will be brilliant at. And that is keeping the lads focused and reminding them that in this, in this 90 minutes or in this possible 120 minutes, the one thing that we cannot do is lose our heads we cannot get a player sent off. We cannot make stupid, rash decisions because we don't want to lose this final because of them. And after him having the experience of missing the penalty and, you know, basically knocking England out, I think that he is a great man for that job. And I am I feel so, I feel really positive about that. So we've just got to hope that the lads listen and really fucking concentrate and dig deep for that final. It's coming home, mate. It's, it's coming home. Coming home. It's actually coming home. I I genuinely believe. I w- really believe. And we'll be together, Brad. We'll be we will. sinking pints. I'm, I've uh, I've got a, a new job and I'm starting it Monday nine a.m. <laughs> so that should be fun. Uh, they were like, "Can you can you work Monday?" I was like, "Yes, I can work Monday." I'm, work- I'm working as well, mate. <laughs> 
Uh, yes. Um, anyway, we've had some feedback in, Brad, from Amin Farsi, who is at Farsi Amin. He says, hey, guys, I'm really happy for you to have a sponsor for your podcast, but the placement and timing of the ad could be better. Keep it up, guys. I'm. Oh, geez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Really sorry, Amin. Yeah, we don't get to choose that. I'm uh, yeah, because no, no, no. that'll be a, that'll be an audio gag. Don't worry about it. Just I'll cut <laughs> it. I'll cut it in immediately. There. Yeah, we'll we'll never do it again. Really, really sorry. Uh, right. See, wait. Do we actually choose when the adverts go? Yeah, yeah. I can I can choose it. I just put it in a random place sometimes. But uh, oh, okay. Yeah, it goes the same thing happened to me. Yeah, uh, and the same thing happened to me. I was listening to it, and I, like you were like halfway through a sentence, and it was like. Are you looking for broadband services? And I was like, I love all the like football when they're like, hey, football's coming home. Buy our product. I'm like, don't fucking ride my emotions because I will. I will buy your product. Um, another question just before we get into the Arsenal stuff. Brad, why is our TikTok all scantily clad women? What are you doing to our algorithm? What's going on? I actually don't understand what you're... Th- is it in the For You page? The For You page. It's all just just women with their with their clothes off. I genuinely don't know because the only videos I like tend to be ours to get an extra like on them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even use it. Every I don't like even counts. Use our TikTok. Well, well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. So, Arsenal Football Club. We've had an out. We've had another out. Matteo Guendouzi has gone to Olympique Marseille. Uh, Season on loan with an obligation to buy for, what, 10 million quid? Yeah, made our money back. Um, I'm looking forward to all of the quotes over the next year, year and a half before he comes becomes completely irrelevant of, yes, at Arsenal, I was not valued. Uh, yeah, well, Marseille have won the Champions League as and some clubs haven't. I've already seen it starting and it's going to be fucking annoying. Um, not too keen on him and Saliba being uh, together. Yeah. Big red flag for me. Mm, concerning. Uh, what's your take on Guendouzi? Like, I'm I'm not too bothered. We've made the money back. And and the thing is, with with players like Tabaresh and Laconga and stuff, it is one of those things where I think with a player like that, if you handle it correctly, which we sort of haven't with Guendouzi, but we sort of got away with it, you will always at least make your money back because he's, what, 22? Um, and I mean, good luck to him, but I just... I think, listen, right, it's as much... It's it's as much his fault as it is Arteta and the clubs that it's turned out this way. He does, I still believe, have such potential and a ceiling, but I will always take a player with a better mentality who is willing to win, fight, die for the team, whether that's being starting or an absolute bench warmer, because... At the end of the day, Gwendouzi's almost done this to himself with what we've heard from his behaviour. And whether or not he wants to bitch and moan about how Arsenal have treated him, 
he is the one that made it untenable because one thing you cannot do as a a manager, let alone a new manager and let alone a new manager with zero managerial experience is let a 22 year old start to run, like run the roost. Because as soon as you do that, you've lost the dressing room and you're gone. So it is a shame because I think he does have such a ceiling and he is a great player, but you know, I think there's only like 10 players in Arsenal history or something that's made more appearances in their first season or something yeah. than Guendouzi. He was yeah. using like 46 games or 48 games. Um, but good riddance. Um, if you don't want to be at the club, bye-bye. Yeah. And uh, I'd rather... And look, whilst we can all have our own opinions on Arteta and whether it's going to work out and whether we think he should be given the time... It's never going to work out with those characters in the dressing room because there will always be a poison chalice. Yeah. So getting getting him out is great. We just should not send Saliba there. Yeah, that's a that's a real concern. At all. At all. The the only thing I'd say on Gunduzi is like I think there's a there's a, the the sort of the uh, what was it what would be the opposition to it has been you know he's a young player you know give him a chance he is talented whatever which. I get to some degree, you know, maybe there's something there, but I think he's just, I think he, his best season was that first season where he was just completely off the hook. He was in that Emery team, which was so turgid and dull that when he was just a bit of a live wire, I think we didn't actually realize, I mean, he's not an Arteta player at all, but also in, in this situation, you've got a young French player. What is he? 22 years old with an, obligation or option or whatever it may be to buy for 10 obligation ten, yeah 10 million or 10 million euros or whatever if he's that good and he's just played a full season at Hertha Berlin so people can scout him if he's that good where again same question about Saliba where are Madrid I just think that it's the Bayern, I think I genuinely do think it's the um it's the issues. Nobody wants to add somebody that seems like hard work to their dressing room. And that is why Gwenduzi until he, because it's not, it's not, uh, you know, Arteta sending Gwenduzi out the last summer. I don't think he was vindicated in making the decision because I think it was, or, or at least at that point, because it just seemed to have been a few fractious issues and you go, oh, he's 21, give him a break. Let's try and reintegrate him. But after a season at Hertha Berlin, where it seems the same things has happened, you know, he's had personal issues with other teammates, both on and off the pitch, issues with the old manager, issues with the new manager, this and that. It's, it now shows the kind of person and player he is. So it shows that it's a good thing that we're moving on from him. And that's probably why we won't see any of the big clubs in for him until he proves he can sort his mentality out because mentality in this sport is so important. It's why people like Jordan Henderson have a career. Jordan Henderson probably isn't in the top 20 players in the Premier League, top 25 players in the Premier League when it comes to being able to like actually play football. Like, there, there are better people at, you know, a defensive midfield role at that whole, at all in every role. But the th- one thing that is always really difficult to quantify is like, like heart or, or desire or willingness to fucking die to get three I was points. About to say that, <laughs> um, and I think that's what Henderson has. He will order, and you know, I think that again on Henderson that was shown last night in the, uh, before the. Um, before extra time where Harry Kane, uh, you know, they get a team talk from Gareth. Harry Kane walks off to put the ball on the center circle and Harry Kane's the captain. And then Henderson gives the boys a talking to. So yeah. we all know who the real captain in that dressing room is. Yeah. And 
dead mentalities aren't going to get Arsenal back to where we need to be. I, so, I complete- bye-bye, good riddance. Let's just not send Saliba out to fucking play around with him because one, another video will come out in 12 months' time and that'll just be uncomfortable for everyone. And two, it could poison his mentality. I, I do agree. And I actually think mentality will become more and more important in football because the technical level is just really good. So the only thing that's going to separate it out is is kind of mentality and um with players like Ronaldo who have been so publicized as reaching the top just purely because they just fucking tried the hardest they could. I think you'll have a whole generation of people who who do see that and go, "Oh my god, it's it's like the Michael Jordan effect in basketball." But I think more the more the point I was trying to make was it is telling to me that the the people who who would go, "Oh, you know, it's a bit a bit of a low fee or whatever." It does. It does uh, inform me. It's that Clive Palmer thing of you know telling telling me about myself kind of thing. That someone like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, right? I bet is a fucking nightmare. I've heard stories about, for example, like Mustafi. Apparently, is an absolute wanker. <laughs> I've heard certain you know you just hear through sort of back channels and stuff, right? If you're good enough, I think men- mentality obviously does matter. And I don't take back what I just said. But you know. If if this French young midfielder is going to be the next big thing, someone like Bayern would take a would take a punt on him. So you know, someone who can sort of do that. He's clearly not that good, like or, or, or not as good well, as everyone thinks. Not think, that good, but yeah, he's not as good as everyone thinks. You know, he could have been when he was coming through in uh, sort of eighteen, nineteen, or whatever it was. And I just think it's important to remember that, and it's important to to note that, and it tells us about ourselves. And you know, the guy. He had a nice progressive carry. Um, he he's physically, uh, you know, quite big and strong. But realistically, he can't head a ball. Not great range of passing. His defensive duties were always shirked. His positioning was really poor. And you can't do that in the Premier League. You just can't. And then you add the question marks about his attitude. And I just think it's good to just get rid of him. Yeah. Uh, good. Because if you disagree, Brad, you're off the podcast. We'd have a problem. So. Uh, well, let's let's do let's do a little bit of uh, so there's there's some other news. Runison might be leaving Brad. <laughs> you will never be vindicated, uh, Runa Runa Runison. You watch, mate. When he's playing for Real Madrid in two years, you'll you'll all look back at me and go, "Yeah, he wasn't that It'd bad." Be the You're right, kit man. When he's putting the cones out, uh, Runa Runa Runison is is off to uh, off to where is he off to Spain? Antalyspor. No, Antalyspor. Turkey. Uh, good luck to him. I have nothing to say on him. Um, the only other bit of sort of smaller Arsenal news is Andreas Gilgson has gone back to Molde. Uh, Arsenal have brought mm-hmm. in uh, a name which I'm sure everyone is undoubtedly familiar with, Nicholas Jova, who has left Manchester yeah, City Yova. after two years to replace Andreas Gilgson on the staff at Arsenal. Um, he is a set piece specialist, which is good because i think we're like third worst in the league or something we're, we're definitely down the pecking order in terms we're of we're third worst in the league for scoring from set pieces but yeah. we're the best in the league for conceding from them okay well maybe he can add add a so like, bit at the other yeah. end um hopefully yeah just you know maybe if we just didn't put willian on them it would have been fine might have beat the first man i do i do sort of looking back and thinking about the games i think we we very rarely do actually score many good set pieces uh the sort of larger conversation i wanted to have to close out the show today brad because i know you need to leave soon is apologies yes uh, he's off to a show guys uh is i'm concerned united 
you know, if rumors to be true, if rumors are you know reported to be true, what all that, all the caveaty stuff, right? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. Caveats, caveats, caveats. United could potentially be lining up with Sancho, Varane, and Camavinga next season alongside already a very good squad. All for about 120 million quid, apparently, as well. City are in for supposedly Kane and Grealish. Um, You look around at Chelsea, there's there's always talk of Haaland. They've not done their business this summer. I am concerned. I'm really concerned. And I think, you know, I think Arsenal are doing some smart business. I think the signings of Ben White, Tavares and Lokonga, which seems to be the most likely, are good signings. But are they going to get us anywhere near think think about how united could line up next season and the thing is you don't even need a good coach if you have let's say De Gea or Henderson you know I think they probably need another keeper to sort of go to title level but they could line up with Rashford Sancho Fernandez Cavani up up top Camavinga and Pogba in the midfield Wambasaka Varane Maguire and Shaw that is an unbelievable team mate and that's you know before before you even bring in Greenwood and the likes of Diallo they've got and I think McTominay's underrated. I just I'm just concerned that we're falling behind. Mm. I really am. Uh, I think it's also about I understand that concern. I think it's we've got to kind of temper all of this with expectations because we're never going to chan- we're not going to challenge for the league for, for me at least three to four seasons. So we need to be looking at who we're actually challenging against. We're not challenging City or United, I don't think. Because I think by far and away, those two teams at the moment are going to be and are the best two teams in the league. Squad-wise, uh, definitely not manager-wise. Because, you know, while Solskjaer's had a decent season last season, again, Penandes, there's a lot of caveats to his season. Um <laughs> We need to be looking at Liverpool, at Chelsea and at Spurs. Because Liverpool, their team is coming to the end of the cycle. The Klopp era is coming to a close. Big call, Bradley Adams. Well, he's just signed his last contract with them. His latest extension, it's already been said, is is his last. Salah's 29, Mane's 29 and Firmino's 30. You know, Henderson's getting towards the end of his career. Van Dyke's not a spring chicken, is he? I think he's 29. Yeah, he's turning 30 soon. Yeah, like this this era for Liverpool is coming to an end. So we need to be looking at Liverpool, Chelsea and Spurs as the main contenders and maybe Leicester, depending on what they do this summer. Because... I think Chelsea's UCL win from last season papers over the cracks for how bloated and unbalanced and poor a lot of their squad is. Spurs' squad is fucking terrible. Uh, and there's no talk of them being able to make any additions, you know, because it doesn't seem like Joe Lewis uh, and the owners are going to pump any money in and they're going to probably wait to see if they get money for Kane or Son before they invest any. And then Liverpool, you know, they might be selling one of their three. Those are the three clubs that we really have to be looking at because we're not going to get anywhere near City and anywhere near United. I think Everton to a degree as well. I don't think Everton are going to come anywhere near. Any, anywhere near. 
But they're within the realm, like in the same way that Villa are within the realm. But they're not. I think we should be looking within higher. the realm of what tenth and eleventh. Well, like, well we were eighth, mate. Like, <laughs> no, but as in we were. <laughs> I understand that, but there is there is much more room for progression and growth for Arsenal. Villa finishing tenth, eleventh, uh, and Everton finishing tenth. From Villa's last season, it's progression for them. So Villa this season especially if they lose Grealish, will be lucky to finish 11th again. You know, they nearly got relegated the season before. They were awful come the end of the season without him. So Arsenal massively underperformed in that first half of the season, which again is why the the kind of finishing of 8th is a red herring when you look at the fact that we then were second in the league from Christmas to the end of the season. And I'm not one of these dons that likes to go on about, oh, but in a calendar year, we would have won the league. <laughs> but like... It's, it's irrelevant. It's to, a relevant fact. You, yeah. It is really relevant. So we need to be looking at what Liverpool are doing, what, what Chelsea are doing and what Spurs are doing and making sure that we are outmaneuvering them in the market. Right now, all of those clubs are quiet. So whilst I am still nervous because I think that Arsenal are about as good as transfers as Runison is against kind of free kicks goalkeeper side I still I'm not in panic mode yet yeah. because none of those clubs are kind of seeming like all guns at the ready battle stations yeah. Yeah. let's go for the transfer window yeah. I don't care about United and I don't care about City because we're not going to touch them this season yeah. I care Fair. about those three clubs and what we can do to to leapfrog them yeah yeah no I, I really understand that I, th- I think also to some degree, I think you're right in terms of time frames. Like we're looking at players who are between the age, supposedly we're looking between the ages of what Lukonga and Tavares are 21, Ben White's 23. I don't think we're going to be signing anyone probably over the age of 25. I also don't think we're going to be signing Alwar apparently, who we've bid for is 23. Yeah, Madison is 24. Yeah, so I think it's sort of between the ages of 21 and probably 25. Right, that's where we're looking in that in that age bracket. And what that means is we're accepting that actually we we probably are. Let's say, let's say, for argument's sake, players peak at 27, 28. You look at Mane, Salah, Firmino, Van Dijk, Allison. They've all been in their peak years, sort of, you know, 27, 28, right? That's when they've been winning the UCL, they won the Premier League. Take Liverpool as an example, as we always do. We're sort of accepting that these players have to grow into those roles. No one's, no one's suggesting that the likes of, you know, Sambi Lekonga, the likes of Tavares, the likes of Ben White are going to come in and make us title winners. But what I think the plan is, and supposedly I think we'll keep signing players in that sort of role and hope that they grow mature and we can develop them. And then when they are 25, 26, we're adding the final bits of the jigsaw. We're adding Allison's, we're adding Van Dyke's to our team, which are Rolls-Royces and are ready. But I think for the moment, it's it's a really good strategy. It's a, it's a, it's a lesser strategy uh, to some degree. Um, and as long as we get the recruitment right, I also think it's, it's not low risk because obviously you're playing with millions. But if it goes wrong, that player is still maximum 27, let's say, and you can sell them for at least some some sort of degree. I think what the problem is, is we've been signing your Socrates, your Licksteiners, your Williams to try and keep us afloat when actually we've got to... And try and get over the line. Yeah. And never gotten over the line. And we've got to strip it out and start again. And I think we are doing that. And I think you're probably right um, that actually we should just be focusing on the likes of... Um, Probably sort of, uh, you know, Brentford and Bournemouth and West Ham to see sort of where, where we're around. <laughs> no, but you're, you're right. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's important to, to remember where we are and not get too overawed because we're just not there. Um, and yeah, Brad, we've just got time. 
for a cheeky bit of Arsenal trivia. Uh, last time we had a podcast with Rohan. If you haven't listened to that podcast, do go back and listen to it. He's a very smart he man. He is sensational. Very oh nice guy. Um, yeah. It's, it's, he was really stuck around for my internet connectivity issues. Oh, man. Legend. Brad had an absolute cup and string. I had a fucking man. <laughs> we literally just met this dude, right? And Brad was like, oh, 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 oh. Um, what did we ask? Oh, yeah. Last time I asked you, what was Burned Leno's first club? You're three for three, Brad. This could be four out of four. What was Burned Leno's first club? Do you look it up, by the way? Pardon? Do you look it up? Between, between episodes? Yeah. No. Okay, good. What would be the point in that? I don't know. Look good? <laughs> well, I'd probably do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be doing this. Ah, oh, just... I'm going to have an absolute stab in the dark. <laughs> Go on, Brad. You're three for three, mate. So, I know it's not Stuttgart, but my... Because my first reaction is Stuttgart, but I know that I'm pretty sure he transferred there from a team in, like, the second division in the Bundesliga. But I just don't know any fucking teams in the second. It's like fucking Union Berlin is the only team I know. So I'm going to go. Oh, God. I I really don't know. Let's go like. Let's go Union Berlin. It's the only team. You should have gone with your gut, Brad. You should have gone with your gut. It's VFB Stuttgart. And technically their second team. Uh, I don't know where he transferred after, but it was it was VFB Stuttgart, mate. Are we sure? It was their second. That's his first. I asked you what was his first professional club, and it was that, not the youth career. Oh fuck! I, okay, yeah, that's where that's what I fuck. That's what I fucked it with. Okay, it is VFB Stuttgart? I don't know where where his youth career was. SC SV Germania beat beat. Oh, I'm not even going to say that. He was at VFB Stuttgart from 2003 to 2009, but then he was his actual senior career started with the second team, and then he went to Bayer Leverkusen. Okay, okay. Oh. I knew he transferred from Stuttgart to Leverkusen. I just thought that there was a step pre that. I'm gutted, mate. Fuck! Question for next time is, where did Arsenal finish in the Premier League in 2009-2010 season? Where did Arsenal finish in the Premier League in the 2009-2010 season? Uh, it was an eighth. I'll tell you that. Uh, right, Brad. <laughs> a pleasure as always. An absolute oh, pleasure. What are you watching never tonight? Sure, my friend. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's playing the national with Michael Sheen. Uh, going to the national. Uh. Cheeky little trip to the Nash. Uh, yes. Right. Thanks so much for listening. Keep it different, Nock. Yeah. And we'll see Keep you. Keep it different, Nock. Later. Bye bye. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Nock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and BuyMeACoffee.com. Find us on Twitter at DiffNock and visit our website, TheDifferentNock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.